You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. To honor all copyright restrictions, certain elements have been edited out of this message. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Acts in chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, and this is the New Revised Standard Version. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said, Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias went. He entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me to you so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So I have never been more jealous of my friend, Pastor Katie Rickey, who serves the congregation at Yankton, than a time when we were talking about the special things about our time during seminary. I went to Sioux Falls Seminary, and because I went to Sioux Falls Seminary, I had to do some coursework down at Kansas City. And I just have to tell you that during those week-long intensives at Kansas City, I lived at the barbecue joints of Kansas City. 
Arthur Bryant's is a very special place to me. My friend Pastor Katie, however, went to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, and her claim to fame is that she and a group of her friends drove past and found the house from Home Alone, the McAllister's house from the movies Home Alone. And as a kid of a certain age, I love that movie. Almost every family picture that we took as a Lundberg family in 1990 or 1991 included me doing a very bad impersonation of the Kevin McAllister aftershave face. To know someone who has seen that house and drove by it frequently was just more than I could handle. It is so cool. That house is so iconic. For the past couple of weeks at the Canton United Methodist Church, we've been discussing what makes movies so great and the way that movies inadvertently and sometimes even intentionally teach us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I think that makes movies so great is their locations. Locations can make or break or enrich a movie so much. The Middle Earth of the Lord of the Rings would not have been as magical without the, without the scenery of Mata Mata, New Zealand. Rocky's morning run would have been less epic without the Philadelphia Museum of Art and its 72 stone steps. Harry Potter's world of Hogwarts would not have been as visually stunning without Christ Church College at Oxford. Oh, and by the way, Pastor Katie has been there too. But this morning, I want to take us a little bit closer to home, all the way to Dyersville, Iowa, Dubuque County, Iowa, and the Field of Dreams. A man named Ray Kinsella and his wife Annie and their daughter Karen buy a farm outside of Dyersville, and he begins his career as a farmer at age 36. But almost from the very start of his career, he has been hearing a voice. A voice that has said over and over and over again, if you build it, he will come. So what exactly does the voice want Ray Kinsella to do? In his mind, what the voice wants him to do is to plow up a section of perfectly good field of perfectly good corn and build a baseball diamond. For Ray Kinsella, he thought that the voice meant for him to build a baseball diamond in hopes of honoring or exonerating his father's hero, Shoeless Joe Jackson, who was banned from baseball with seven other players as a result of the Black Sox scandal out of the World Series of 1919. If you build it, he will come. I guess. And so this is what he does. With the help of his family and to the fascination of, the, of his community and to the horror of any of us who grew up on a farm, he plows up his field. But the voice is not done with Ray Kinsella. Two more times the voice takes him to very interesting locations. He first hears the voice saying, ease his pain. And he decides that the pain belongs to a man named Terrace Mann, played by James Earl Jones, a famous and now neglected and now bitter writer who once dreamed of playing for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Ray Kinsella finds him in Boston, convinces him that he's not there to rob him, and then takes him to a Red Sox game. 
and during the course of that baseball game, the voice sounds again. The voice says, go the distance. And Ray Kinsella decides that go the distance means that he needs to go find an old, uh, or an old baseball player named Archibald Graham who played one inning in the major leagues before being sent back down to the minors. And instead of playing minor league baseball, he quit to become a doctor instead. And so Ray and Archibald and Terrence go back to Iowa. They go to the baseball diamond. They go to the field of dreams. And it's called that because this is a place where dreams come true. Shoeless Joe Jackson is allowed to play baseball again. Other famous baseball players who had since passed away are able to come and play baseball again. Archibald Graham, Archie, gets to play more than just one inning of baseball. And Terrence Mann gets to write about all of it to spread publicity. At the very end of the movie, Ray Kinsella himself has his own dreams come true. It's not about Shrewless Joe Jackson, it's about his dad. And he's able to have a game of catch with his dad, John, after, he, after Ray had refused to do so when he was little and John was alive. This all started because someone heard a voice in, in an iconic location. Our scripture this morning takes place at an iconic location. And to quote the movie, is this heaven? No, it's Damascus. But our scripture this morning starts much like the field of dreams. It starts with a voice. Two people hear a voice and fulfill not their own dreams, but God's dreams. Because it is God who is speaking. And no, by the way, no one is inspired to build a baseball diamond in Syria. Rather, these two people are given these wild and illogical instructions. The first is told to knock it off, and the second is told to lay his hands on a dangerous man. The first one to hear a voice is the persecutor of the church whose name is Saul. He's traveling on orders to Damascus to persecute the church there, but along the way he hears the voice and is literally blinded by the light. And to be fair, his message is a little bit longer and a little less pithy than if you build it, he will come. The message is this, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And like, there's a reason why the voice of Jesus has the right to say this. It's because we first meet Saul in Acts chapter 8, and it is when he is holding the cloaks of those that are stoning Stephen, who will become the first Christian martyr. And since then, and, and until now, Saul has been persecuting the church, trying to stomp out anyone who was a follower of the way. All that changes when he hears the voice. It is Jesus, it is I, the one whom you are persecuting. And this is the start of an epic journey. He doesn't get to go to Fenway Park, but he does get to go to Damascus. And as the way there, he has to rely on voices because he cannot see his location. Later, the voice goes to Ananias. And rather than having to figure out what the voice is talking about, Ananias is given a travel itinerary and very specific instructions. I've always appreciated how Eugene Peterson says it in his, in his interpretation called The Message. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue. Ask at the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus. 
He has just seen a vision in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so that he could see again. There's no ambiguity here. Unlike Ray Kinsella, he doesn't have to discuss what the voice meant with his wife. He doesn't need to sleep on it. Jesus' voice is plain and clear. Go to this house. Find this person. Take this action. All Ananias has to do is listen and follow. Which is easier said than done. Saul was who he was. And Ananias knew that Saul was who he was. And so to do what Jesus was asking Ananias to do was unsafe and illogical. Kind of like pulling up perfectly good corn to build a baseball diamond. But no matter how illogical, Ananias listens to the voice and goes to the location where this drama is about to take place. He goes to the house and he finds Saul, and I just have to assume with a little bit of trepidation and maybe even a lump on his throat, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you to lay hands on you so that you can receive your sight. And it's then that Ananias touches Saul. After that, Saul and Ananias, and really even the world, will never quite be the same. We're told at the very tail end of our scripture that Saul immediately goes into the synagogues and proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He goes on to be one of the most important church planters, one of the foremost evangelists, and someone about whom Adam Hamilton has said that he is second in renown in or only to Jesus. And Ananias, according to New Testament scholar F.F. F. Bruce, has a special place in sacred history. And it all happened because two people heard a voice in iconic locations. So let me ask you this. What would you consider an iconic location? Where have you heard a voice or felt a nudge or been pulled in a direction that you just couldn't ignore? It could be the same voice that audibly spoke to Saul and Ananias. And it may have been similar to the voice that spoke to Ray. What I find interesting about the field of dreams is that God is never mentioned by name, and we're never really told that the voice that Ray is hearing is the work of God in his life. But do you ever notice how God works in very similar ways? How this could have been the voice of God? The reality of our lives and the reality of our faith is that God is still speaking even to this day, and even in this location, which, by the way, for me, is iconic. And so the question becomes this. Will we listen? Are we willing to be illogical and maybe even be unsafe? Ray did. Ray was willing to be illogical. And because of it, he met his heroes and he got to have a game of catch with his dad. Ananias and Saul were willing to be unsafe, and they changed the world. So what great things would happen if you would just listen? What iconic location could my friend Pastor Katie drive past next? What amazing thing does God have in store for you? If only we would listen for God's voice, which is all around us. 
Would you pray with me? Ever-present and still speaking, God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for drawing us together for worship. We give you thanks for the opportunity to hear your word read and proclaimed. And we just give you thanks for the opportunity to live in its light. God, we all have those places that are important to us, that are so vital to our story of who we are. And for that, we give you thanks. Help us to hear you. Help us to see you with us. Help us to feel you near in the midst of all things. And when the voice that you are sending out into our universe feels a little bit too illogical, let us be just crazy enough to listen and see what happens next. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.